Today's reading is from Luke 8:40 to 44. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman who was there, was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. This is the word of the Lord. King's Quest students, first through fourth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. My name is Will Vakurvich, one of the pastors here. Super thankful to be here with you guys this morning. Um, So, behind the scenes, if you are somebody who preaches, often it's easier to get obscure text, believe it or not. Because what happens is there's these stories in the Bible that people like to talk about, and that means that your audience has heard all the things that there is to say about it already. So if you've been around church for a while, this story of Jesus healing this woman who's been bleeding for a long time is probably familiar. This story of Jesus raising this little girl from the dead or something like that is probably familiar. So here's the deal. Unfortunately, I'm not that good. I don't have any new insights for you. It's going to be simple. It's going to be things that I promise You've heard before. But if you're like me, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to take a step back, get back to basics, demystify all of the super complex things. Like, what what is the basic truth here? And this lesson has really been driven home for my family recently because here comes a confession. Um, it, It was good that Jake and Chris framed this. Like, I'm not cool anymore. And that's probably generous, right? Like, that assumes that I was cool at some point. But I'm just like, I'm a dad. Like, I'm a nerd, right? Like, I like watching Marvel movies and Star Wars movies. And um, admittedly, I've not always been a gamer. But in my old age, I've started to play video games with my boys. See? (laughs) So there's a game that I played as a kid called The Legend of Zelda. And it's with Nintendo. And they've made... Yeah, yes, I'm getting applause, this is awesome, all right. I should have leaned into this earlier in my time here. So they just released a new game, a new Legend of Zelda game, and what we love about this game is it actually tells a really compelling story. It's not like a video game when I was a kid where you like start at the beginning of level one and like work your way through level, you know, the entire level and then fight the boss and then do the next thing in a chronological order. It's an open world where you can go and explore, you can collect things, you can you know, fight the bad guys, you can collect weapons, there's all these side quests that you can do, but here's the deal, the basics of the game is you have to read what the other um, characters tell you, you have to collect things, and you have to take your time. 
because you have to see like the secret caves and the little passageways and all of these things. Now, our boys are playing, and the way they play is they're like, what's the most exciting quest? What's the most action and adventure that we can do? And they just like steam forward towards that. Now, my wife and I play, and, and she loves to like gather things, and you can cook. So she'll like gather all the ingredients and she'll cook and make these like meals so that when our energy is depleted, we can eat. So we're playing very slowly and our boys are amazed that we've collected more items than they have. They're amazed that we're actually not as far along in the game, but we're doing a lot better than they are because it's the simple basics of the game. How many professional athletes forget that? They can do all of the fancy moves, but forget the fundamentals. My kids, as they're playing sports, I have the same thing as I was playing sports. I want to do the fancy things, but I forget, like, you have to be able to dribble with both hands, right? And so that's the hope today is like we can kind of take a step back. What are the fundamentals of this passage? We're going to read the passage together. We'll talk about it. And then I think there's three things that the Spirit would like us to notice. So before we do that, let's, let's pray and ask Jesus to speak to us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here with us even now. That is always, I often find myself needing to pause and remember that. You promise you are with us. And and as you were with this woman and with this father and with his daughter, um, you are still here with us today in this space. As you were present with your people in, in Jerusalem, in the ancient Near East, Lord, you are here with us in Long Beach today, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you see us, that you care for us, that you love us, that you are still active in our lives. And so we invite you to speak to us now. Would you help us to listen well? Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up in the book of Luke chapter 8. If you have uh, the blue Bible that's underneath the chair uh, in front of you, it'll be on page 866. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 verses 40 through 56. Luke 8, 40 through 56. This is what Luke tells us. Starting in verse 40, he says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. 
When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see this, this story, right? We have this story where Jesus has returned. What's he returned from? He's returned from casting out the demons from the man that Beth um, shared uh, with us last week and, and calming the storm. He's returned from that side of the sea and he's come back. There's crowds pressing around because this, the popularity, the notoriety, the fame of Jesus has been spreading. Jesus is going viral. Everyone knows who he is. And they're interested. The crowds are interested, so they're pressing in. And in the midst of this scene, we see um, this man come up. Now, this man was a ruler of the synagogue. He ran uh, their version of church, of the corporate gathering of God's people. And one of his primary responsibilities was to ensure that the people were not doing anything that would make themselves unclean. Now, here's the problem. Jesus just came from a graveyard with a demon-possessed man and a herd of pigs. This is as unclean as you can get. And he falls at the feet of Jesus because his child is dying. Jesus has compassion. He says he'll go with him, which is interesting because in the Gospels, we have other stories where Jesus just says, they're healed. He doesn't have to go there, but in this instance, for whatever reason, Jesus says, I'm going to go with you to your home. On the way, Jesus gets interrupted. The crowds are pressing in. You can see the photograph there on the slide that's hard to decipher. There's crowds all around, and we see this woman reaching and just touching the edge of the garment of Jesus. And in her mind, if she can just touch the edge of his robe, she will be healed because she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. We know that she has spent all of the money that she has on different medical interventions, and she's desperate. Now, she, if Jesus is not who Jesus is, this woman is like not a hero. This is like rewind in your minds back to like March of 2020. This is somebody who actively knows they have COVID, like coughing on people. She is unclean. The crowds are pressing in. She is contaminating everyone around her. But there's that desperate hope. If I can just get to Jesus, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, there may be hope that I could be healed. And because Jesus is who Jesus is, they do not become unclean. He does not become unclean. He absorbs her uncleanliness and gives her health, gives her healing. And now he stops this entire scene, all the commotion of the crowds. He stops everyone who touched me. And I see Peter here, right, like kind of smirking, like, seriously, Jesus? Like, look at the picture. The answer is everyone. All of the above touched you. 
Every, we're pressed in, we're cramped together in this crowd. Everyone is touching you. And he says, no, 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 no. Who touched me? I felt power go out from my body to heal someone who touched me. So this woman who has been unclean, that means separated from community for 12 years. My oldest just turned 12, as long as he's been alive. She's been distant. She's been separated. Everything she's touched has been unclean and needs to be clean. She's desperate. She's paid doctor after doctor, hope after hope, prayer after prayer. And she's finally given a voice. Who touched me? She says, I touched you. And she tells them why. Let's go and be healed. Your faith has healed you, my daughter. Now, Jesus isn't actually her father, right? Like, Jesus didn't get married and have a baby, and this is the baby. But what Jesus is doing is not only healing her physically, he's restoring her to community. She's no longer unclean. Now she's welcome. Now she can hug again. Imagine no hugs for 12 years. She can be in proximity. You know when you have a good conversation and you're leaning in? She can have those types of conversations with people again. Imagine not having that for 12 years. Jesus heals her. Now, here's the deal. This is great for the woman. Jairus is still standing there like, hey, Jesus, I don't mean to interrupt, but my daughter is dying. This is not like she's sad. This is like, this is literally a life or death situation. Meanwhile, someone comes and says, don't waste his time anymore. She's dead. Hope is gone. And Jesus says, just believe. Let's go to your house. In the same way, he said, look, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. The storm doesn't matter. I'm going to go to your house. She's going to be healed. Just believe. And so Jairus walks with Jesus. And I can't imagine what he's thinking in that moment. Like this rotten woman who stopped Jesus. My daughter is dead because she stopped Jesus. What's wrong with Jesus? Did he not know my daughter would die? Like, why would he stop? Why does somebody else get to be healed while my daughter dies? And somehow in the midst of that, he can still hold on to hope. He can still hold on to faith. All right, Jesus, we're going to go. He's going to walk with him. I can't imagine as a dad, as he's, he's heard the news, he's walking up, he's seeing the neighbors wailing. He's seeing the family members wait, right? It's not a joke. It's not a prank. The people are mourning the death of his daughter, and Jesus says, just believe. How could you believe? Jesus says, just believe. So they walk up, and the crowds are like losing their minds. The girl has died. Jesus says, stop. And they laugh at him. He says, stop. She's not dead, but asleep. They laugh at him. They laugh at Jesus, which is like easy to villainize, right? Like, how could you laugh at Jesus? Because the girl's dead. Have you seen someone raised from the dead? I haven't. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I understand why they laughed. It's hard to believe things sometimes. But Jesus, being Jesus, walks straight into the middle of the pain. He walks through the crowds of those who are weeping and mourning and lamenting. He doesn't avoid places of grief. He doesn't avoid the hard places. He walks right into the home. 
And not just into the home, right into the room, right where the girl is, and he takes her by the hand. These beautiful images of touch. The woman reaching out, touching the edge of his clothes. Jesus reaching out, touching the little girl's hand. Get up. Come on, come on. Give this girl something to eat. She's hungry. And just as Jesus restored the woman's physical body and restored her back into community, he says, look, get up, little girl. She gets up. He restores her life. Says, give her something to eat. Because you know what families do together? They share meals. He restores her physically and socially. Jesus brings healing. So what do you say about this text that we've heard preached over and over if you've been in church for any length of time? Here's the simple truth. First thing that popped out to me, Jesus heals. Jesus heals. For some of us, we've experienced this. We've prayed about a thing and Jesus has responded. We have friends that we prayed for and Jesus healed them. It wasn't looking good, and Jesus stepped in, and there was a big turnaround. For some of us, we've prayed and prayed and prayed, and he didn't answer. He didn't answer the way we wanted him to. He didn't do the thing we were convinced he was going to do. And as hard a truth as this is to swallow, Jesus still healed. Now, here's the deal. For some of us in our background, we've been in a context where this truth is manipulated, where this truth is not done well, where people are blamed, right? Well, if you would have had more faith, then Jesus would have healed you. Scripture doesn't ever say that. That's a lie. But just because something is not done well doesn't mean it's not true. Now, this is a silly illustration, but this is what comes to mind for me. When I grow up, you guys have heard bits of my story. I live with my, my parents' divorce when I was five. I lived with my birth mom until I was 13. Then I moved in with my dad and my stepmom. Typically, when I'm talking about my mom, I'm referring to my stepmom because she plays that role for me. She is an incredible cook, a phenomenal cook. There will literally be times where I'm like, I don't even know what you could combine these ingredients to make, and she just makes something awesome. Okay? Now, my birth mom, not the best cook. When I was young, she had a recipe for lasagna. What I didn't realize at the time is it was, so this is like the early 80s, and it was like a vegetarian, like vegetarian recipes have gotten better over time. This is like early, right? So her lasagna had zucchini and tofu, and it was disgusting. Now, we didn't go to a lot of Italian restaurants. My only experience with lasagna is this disgusting tofu and zucchini, nasty lasagna. I don't know any different. This is my only experience of lasagna. Fast forward to college, lined up in the cafeteria, it's lasagna tonight, and I'm like, oh, disgusting. Like, where's the cereal bar? I don't want this. And my friends are like, dude, you don't like lasagna? Like, who doesn't like lasagna? And I'm like, lasagna is not, we get in like an argument where I'm like, dude, how can you like, you like tofu? And they're like, wait a minute, what's that? Like, you like tofu in your lasagna? And he's like, you don't put tofu In lasagna, what are you talking about? So I go from like lasagna to actually eating lasagna, and it's really good. It's actually a good thing to eat, right? It's probably not the healthiest, but 
If your only experience of healing is tofu lasagna, I understand why you may not believe that to be true. In church, there's a lot of things like this in our faith. If your only experience of evangelism has been done poorly or coercive or manipulative, I'm sorry that that's your experience and it doesn't get us off the hook. If your only experience of somebody holding you accountable was spiritually abusive, I am honestly deeply sorry that that's your experience. And part of our faith is calling out sin in each other. If your only experience of seeing people do justice work is, in your opinion, inappropriate, I'm sorry that that's your experience. We are commanded to do justice. It doesn't get us off the hook. There's a whole laundry list of things, purity, culture, modesty, right, all of these things. Just because it's done poorly does not mean we get to ignore it. Lasagna's good. Amen. People are going to go have lasagna for lunch, and it's all my fault. So here's the challenge. What are those things that you need to reclaim? You have a right to have stepped away from them. You have a right to be guarded and cautious. That doesn't mean you don't get to participate in the things of our faith. I, I've, I've experienced people you know, with this like, oh, I have a word from the Lord, and I'm like, that's from you. That's clearly not from the Lord. Other people have said, I have a word from the Lord, and it was like, shockingly from the Lord. Just because there's tofu lasagna doesn't mean that doesn't happen. Just because your experience of Jesus healing may not be what you had in mind doesn't mean Jesus doesn't still heal. And so hopefully by this point, you've like thought of some of your things, some of those things that need to be reclaimed. That doesn't mean you do them poorly. That means you press in and figure out how we can do these things in a way that's more faithful to what Jesus has in store. Now it's hard because I, I, like I, I'm trying really to be very carefully and acknowledge like some of the practices that have been done so poorly have caused incredible hurt and pain and even generational trauma. That's real. That's also sin that needs to be named. That doesn't mean that it, Jesus lets us off the hook because other people did a bad job, okay? All right, Jesus heals. Here's the next thing that occurs to me. We need Jesus. This woman falls down trembling at the feet of Jesus. She risks contaminating the crowd to get to Jesus. She gives her life savings to try to be healed and realizes at the end of the day, the only one who can heal her is Jesus. She needs Jesus. In the, the slide that's gonna pop up, the one that says we need Jesus, um, it's intentional. It's coming, I promise. Any second, just visualize it in your mind. Instead of Jesus heals, we need Jesus. Hey, good job. So here's the reality. We, that's inclusive of everyone here. If you are here, you're included in this. If you've walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive, you're included in this. If you have not yet met Jesus, you need Jesus. If you're a kid and you think you have a lot of years left, guess what? You need Jesus. If you're a teenager and you're convinced you're in, in, invincible, 
You need Jesus. If you're more towards the sunset years of your life, you need Jesus. If you've read more scripture than anyone else in here, you need Jesus. If you can hear my words, if you, what, the words that are coming out, what's that, rush hour? You need Jesus. Okay? So we, all of us, all of us, if you're like looking at your spouse, like he's talking to you, I'm actually talking to you too, all right? Yes, your spouse needs Jesus. You need Jesus too. Okay? So we, all of us, need, need. He's not a condiment. You don't just sprinkle him on the top to make your life better. He's not a life hack. He doesn't optimize your performance or your outputs. We need Jesus desperately. Not only when it's convenient. Not just when times are really, really good or really, really bad, because that's when we typically think we need Jesus. We need Jesus on the boring days, on the weekends when you're not as focused because you're resting. Every day, we need, desperately need Jesus. We need Jesus. Yes, we need the Bible. Yes, we need theology. Yes, we need to talk about deep things of God with other people. Yes, we need community. Yes, we need fellowship. Yes, we need justice. Yes, we need obedience. Yes, we need worship. Yes, we need, yes. Church, we need Jesus. If these things that you're doing are not bringing you closer to Jesus, something's missing. We need Jesus. We need the person of Jesus. We need intimacy in our lives with Jesus. We need Jesus. This is how it works, right? Like there's these things. This is just how it works. No matter how much of a superhuman you are, you need to eat food, drink water, and sleep. Go too long without any one of those things, and things get like wonky really quickly, right? Try not to drink water for a long time. Everything starts breaking down. Now, food, we can go a little bit longer, right? Like we can fast and, you know, all, all of these things. But it, like eventually, you need food in order to survive. You need water in order to survive. You need sleep in order to survive. That's how God has structured his creation, and you are part of his creation. In the same way that we need those things, we need Jesus. Simple. Is it nuanced? Yes. How you live it out is very, very nuanced. There's lots of different ways. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus. So the question is, where do you need Jesus? Where are you not experiencing Jesus right now? Where are you desperate for Jesus falling at his feet and trembling like the woman? We need Jesus. Final thing that stood out to me here. Others need Jesus, right? The woman goes to Jesus on her own behalf. Jairus goes to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. As much as you need Jesus, people who don't know him also need him. Who is your dying daughter? Who is that person in your life that you're willing to risk becoming unclean in order to bring them to Jesus or bring Jesus to them? Who is the person that causes you to fall down at the feet of Jesus and beg him, please come quickly? Lots of us have had people do this for us. 
I know I had people, well, I had my dad and stepmom who like drove me to youth group and kicked me out of the car. But I had friends who told me about Jesus. I had friends who hung out with me to model a different way of life, right? What was, what was Jake's dad joke? Withness is the witness. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, dude. Leave the dad jokes to me. Uh, we need people to be with us. People were in my life telling me about Jesus. Pastors were in my life challenging me, like, have you put your faith and trust into Jesus? People were saying the words, telling me what the gospel was. People behind the scenes that I would not meet until later in life were praying for me. It takes a village. And so who are those people for you? Maybe it's a, a, a friend uh, that you've known for decades. Maybe it's someone in your family. Who are those people that need Jesus that you are desperate for? If this is the part in your sermon where you're like, I don't, like no one, that's probably a good indicator for you, right? Like my wife always gets mad at me because those lights on the dash will come on and I'm like, I think it's fine. We'll just keep driving, right? They're there for a reason. It was Siri, not the spirit. So if you're at this point and you're like, I don't actually have anyone, I don't, I don't know anyone, then this is like, okay, your engine hasn't blown up, but it's time to pay attention to the light. Who could God be inviting you to share your faith with? Who could God be inviting you to pray for? Who could God be inviting you to be just a little bit more intentional with your time with them, right? Instead of coffee alone, what if you get coffee with them? Instead of just dinner with the family, what if you invite them to eat a meal at your home? What are those little things, right? Hopefully that leads to the desperation falling at the feet of Jesus and trembling, but like, let's start with the baby steps. For some of you, this is hard to hear because you have been falling at the feet of Jesus, begging him for that person for a long, long time. That happens sometimes. I wish I had a really good answer for you, but I don't. But I know that Jesus commands us to love our neighbor. Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Ask the uh, Lord of the harvest to send workers. And so even when we don't have the answers, we continually pray for those people. Our hearts continually break. Is that difficult? Yes. Goodness, yes, that's difficult. But here's like a, a, a hard reality that I've had to learn, right? Like I remember early on people telling, you know, using this like fancy language, like, you know, you're not fully human unless you're in Jesus. And so when I was young, what I assumed was like, okay, if I'm not fully human, like in Jesus, then like all the good things are even better. Like there's more joy and more happiness and more like positive emotions because sin distorts who we are as image bearers. So in Jesus, we receive salvation so we can become more fully human. Part of our human experience is negative emotions as well. When we understand how God ordered things to be and we see sin distort that, that should break our hearts even more. When we know what God commands and we see loved ones rebel against that, it should break our hearts even more. Does Jesus invite us into a life of peace and happiness and joy? Yes. And a life of lament and grief, and sorrow, because things are not the way they ought to be. 
So as much as you need Jesus, other people need Jesus too. It's actually serious work. I don't want to create this false sense of urgency, right? Like, if you don't tell them, what if they die and they spend eternity in hell? Like, that's not what it's about. It's not about guilt. It's not about shaming people to tell other people about Jesus. It's saying, look, church, here is the simple reality. Jesus does actually still heal. And we actually do need Jesus. And so do other people. And so the good news is that what Jesus did then, he's still doing today. The one who bled on the cross was able to stop the woman's bleeding. The one who would raise from the dead was able to raise the girl back to life. The one who gave himself for us so that we could be invited in calls us to give ourselves for other people. And so as we come to the table this morning, I'd love for us to remember that. That the reality is that, uh, like, not in some creepy way, but these elements represent who Jesus is, the one who heals, because he took our sickness and our brokenness and our death upon himself. We're offered freedom from the guilt that we carry because he took our guilt upon himself. We say it every week or every other week, his body was given for us. The implication is as we receive that, then we give ourselves for other people. His blood was shed for us, so we, in the words of Paul, pour out our lives like a drink offering to demonstrate this sacrificial nature of Jesus for the healing of the world. We're not called to be Jesus, but we're called to be like Jesus. And this table reminds us that it is a sacrificial call for the sake of others, for the life of the world, because this truly is where we find life. I'm going to pray for us. Mike and the band are going to lead us in worship. The, the, um, not ushers. Servers, thank you. Getting older. Uh, are going to come forward and dismiss us by rows so that we can share in this family meal together. If you follow Jesus, you are so welcome at this table. We're so thankful that you're here. We're so thankful to be able to remember that Jesus heals, that we need Jesus, and that other people need Jesus also together as a community. So let me pray for us. Father, you're good. I am thankful for your truth that in some ways is actually so simple. You see us, you know us, and you love us. You see the ugliness, you see the sickness, you see the brokenness, you see the areas of our life that feel utterly hopeless. And you step in and you speak words of life. And so Jesus, if there are people that need physical healing, we ask that you would heal. If there are people that need emotional healing, we ask that you would heal. If there are people that need spiritual healing, we ask that you would heal. We thank you that you are present, that you are active, and that you care about each person in here way more than any of us ever could. And you proved it by sending your son for us. 
We ask that you would continue to speak to us through the remainder of this service, that you would bless us so that other people would be blessed. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.